White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. This is our mailbag edition, Mailbag Monday. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how are you doing on this beautiful day? Oh, doing well. Nice, nice sports day on Sunday as we sit here recording this and looking forward to hopefully what is an American League Central Division clincher sometime this week. But before we get the bag open here, this episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Indeed. Hey, can the Guinness Book of World Records give 2020 the world's greatest delay of game? Even though sports had a break, your business certainly did not. You got to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get the important hire that you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MLB. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash MLB. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. And Locked On White Sox is also brought to you by Built Bar, the best taste protein bar ever let me tell you something folks if you're on a diet or just looking to watch your weight or just looking to get more protein in your daily life look no further than built bar the improved built bar is somehow even delicious er built bar has six new flavors including caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry barcia lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake and apple almond crisp they are healthy. They're great if you're a health-conscious person on the go. It's great for losing or maintaining weight while still indulging in one of those sweet, delicious treats that I happen to love so much. I keep Built Bars in the drawer at work, so around 3 o'clock, whenever you get that sluggish feeling and you need a little pick-me-up with some protein and a little bit of chocolate to get you through the rest of the workday, they're right there for me, right there at my fingertips. Of course, they still have those 12 original flavors that you know and love so much. Me, personally, big fan of the German chocolate, the mint brownie, and, of course, peanut butter brownie built bars are always 100 covered in chocolate soft and easy to chew that peanut butter one by the way great after doing a lot of work around the house 19 grams of protein only 180 calories just five grams of sugar and only five grams of net carbs pretty good huh and right now built bar is offering a special promotion to our locked on white Sox listeners you get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last so just go to builtbar.com and use our promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off of your next order. Use promo code LOCKDOWN for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Episode number 58, and every time I think these couldn't get any worse, I accidentally clicked 59 <laughs> before I saw 58. So a <laughs> little tease for next week's program. Uh, number 58, anything come off the top of your head for good old jersey number 58 for the White Sox? Just when I thought about this number, one name in particular popped up. And it is Matt Ginter. I don't know why, because Matt Ginter was not a good White Sox pitcher at all. But when I think about 58 and the White Sox, I think about Matt Ginter, and I don't, (laughs) I'm I'm still befuddled. Well, I guess you could say, you know, he was, uh, oh God, he was on the uh, 2000 uh, division winning team, uh, 20 year anniversary this year. Hopefully the Sox could pull one out, win the division again in their, in their honor. Um, but that's a weird one. I think this is already the clubhouse leader. If you remembered someone by wearing 58, I think that automatically would, would get this person the bid. Um, going by our previous criteria, do you remember someone named Kevin Walker on the 2005 White Sox? team 
Absolutely not. <laughs> Who the hell is Kevin Walker? Let me look him up. You, could you, Bats left, throws left. He's a pitcher. Yeah, no, he, hell no. He's He was 0-1 for the White Sox in 2005 with an earned run average of 9. I, I got to see this damn game log right here. I got to go back and check the 2005. Because like that's you know one thing I've learned about doing this podcast with you. One thing I've learned is how great you are as a friend <laughs> and also uh, about how many 2005 White Sox players I didn't know existed um okay so for the 05 white Sox, he pitched in one two three four five six seven eight nine games for the two- I, I literally don't remember <laughs> i know like well pitched at oakland so late games that we automatically oh they got swept <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yes. um Pitch, pitch. He pitched in all those games he pitched in were losses <laughs> except for one. <laughs> and, that, and that was July 4th of 2005 against the Tampa Bay then Devil Rays. So, yeah, Kevin Walker, we hardly knew you, but he got a ring. <laughs> they, put a, they put a ring on it. Did he get any um, decisions in these games? No, uh, he probably got in, put in after uh, everything was decided. Yeah, I'm looking at it. No decisions except for one BL. Blown save? What is that? Blown loss? Um, be, oh, oh, yeah. Blown save. Yeah. Or is Ron Blo- said blown, blown slaves? Blown, blown lead. Yeah, BL, right? You said BL? Yeah. Yeah, blown lead? Yeah. Would that make sense? I guess yeah. down below it says blown saves. Oh, okay. You just can't read? You need your helpers on tonight? No, um, no. It, actually, it says he got a loss there, 0-1. Okay. Hey, so he, at least he made one contribution. The White Sox finished, of course, 99-63. and 63. Every time I see that record, like my OCD-ness gets, a little, gets the best of me. I was like, oh, they just needed one more for 100 games. And now it's Kevin Walker's fault they didn't win 100 games in 2005. Um, Fucking bump. Um, other notables, Lucas Harrell pitched two years for the White Sox. Uh, I do remember him. The great Jason Fraser out of the bullpen. Tossed mm-hmm. salads and scrambled eggs and giving up home runs in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> um, Frankie Liriano, 2012. I remember that so vividly. Liriano. Yeah, Liriano Berlander. Uh, um, I remember that. I remember Liriano that, that so much because that, that era, because I remember uh, my dad and I mentioned it before, went to Minnesota for that series. AJ hit a great go-ahead home run in the top of the ninth inning in Minnesota. It was a great game. Uh, Liriano, that was his first start as a White Sox, and I always remember that. And then I always remember him facing the Tigers late in the year in 2012 when the Sox were making their push and they couldn't get out a young hitter by the name of Avisael Garcia. Uh, I remember Liriano just being disappointing that series. Um, Gio Soto for one of his uh, stints, his first stint as a White Sox, war number 58 in 2015. Al Albuquerque, Herbie. I do not recall this. <laughs> I do. I only associate Al Albuquerque with one thing other than kissing the baseball in the uh, Oakland series a few years back. But also, he was the subject matter of a Mike Francesa uh, call gone awry. Dave in Red Bank. What's up, Dave? Hey, Mike. What's going on? What's up? Uh, I just want to talk about this guy, Al Albuquerque. I mean, what, what's his deal? How bad is this guy? Who is Al Albuquerque? Al Albuquerque. No, you yeah. have to say, you know, if you're going to, it's really, if you're trying to be funny, it's Albuquerque. It's not Al Albuquerque. Okay. <laughs> I mean, oh, jeez. Children, near the phones. Fast forward. I guess that uh, kid who called, the young guy who called before, was talking about the kid who came in the game last night. I thought he was making a joke about Albuquerque. Get it? But the guy's name is Alberto Jose Albuquerque. And I'm not sure. Maybe they do call him Al Albuquerque. I don't even know. I've never seen that kid pitch before last night. But that's who he was alluding to. I didn't know he was talking about the pitcher last night. I thought he was making a joke. I didn't realize the kid's... I thought the guy's name was Alberto (laughs) Jose Albuquerque. I didn't realize his name was Al... They called him Al Albuquerque. If they do. I don't even know if they do. Because I didn't... You know, when he was in the game... Listen to all the ways that he just was admitting, hey, I messed up. <laughs> like how long it's taken. Without taking. saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Pay much attention to it, to be honest with you. But the kid's name, Albuquerque, came up. His last name is Albuquerque. But I didn't realize they called him Al. <laughs> but Kirky. They do call him Al Albuquerque, which I didn't even realize. You know, because I'd never seen that kid pitch before last night. Uh, Chris in the Bronx. What's up, Chris? And you can call me Al. How about that? I, that I, whenever I think of Al Albuquerque, I always think of that call. But That's it, pretty good. And I'm looking at the stats. That's for Al Albuquerque. He's good. Uh, let's go. <laughs> I remember him as a tiger, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. 
Hawk would, you know, frequently mention that he's coming to the game. Yeah. And yeah, I don't recall the 2017 version of Al Albuquerque, which he never pitched in the majors after that. It's weird. Especially Very after weird. having having a good stint with the White Sox there. I mean, who knows the things that happen, uh, you know, Maybe guys just fall out of love. Uh, He's still only like thirty-five years old. Yeah, we'll see him come back. Like, bullpen, thirty-four years old. He'll learn like how to. He'll learn like about spin rates or something, and he'll be back. You know, with someone down the line. Like it'll be one of those guys. Like remember this guy was a thing. Well, here he is, and now he's like you know a starter somewhere. But uh, Miguel Gonzalez, twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen. I, I always remember him and the and his uh, and his great singing voice <laughs> and. And mm-hmm. the bane of our existence, uh, Manny Benuelos. Ugh. And then, of course, Jimmy Lambert, who we liked a lot when he was in early on in the season, and then uh, we lost him. He's gone, and there's nothing we could do about it. So, And just uh, to finish off on um, Mr. Benuelos, he never pitched in the majors after you left the White Sox. But did, did he go to the KBO this year? Was uh, he, he might have. I don't see on his uh, baseball reference page. I maybe have to get out of it and go to his uh, KBO style. He might have been out there kicking ass with the KBO. <laughs> oh, the Mariners. He was with the Mariners earlier this year, uh, Manny Benuelos. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of literally every other White Sox player ever had a stint in the KBO this year. Uh, oh, Taiwan. Okay. So June 22nd, shortly after being released by the Mariners, um, he signed a dull with Fubon. Yes. They were fun too. After they got him, oh man. <laughs> you could you couldn't stop Fubon <laughs> after Manny Benuelos got over there. <laughs> Trust me. Look at the stats, it'll back it up. So yeah, uh and then Jimmy Lambert. So yeah, I don't I think Ty- Jimmy Lambert hasn't pitched uh, since he yeah, got the Tommy John. I know the Tommy John. Um yeah, I think I think Ty goes to Matt Ginter because you had a memory. <laughs> don't what? Don't wear the number fifty-eight if you're a White Sox pitcher. Goodness gracious! Yep, they're all out of the league or injured. <laughs> yeah, Short, shorter careers. Jesus, I mean Matt Ginter pitched after X. I think he pitched well for the Mets too when he when he started over there with the Metropolitans. Hmm. So maybe that's a different thing. If I had my druthers, I just remembered Matt. Ginter. I don't think he was great. Uh, it'll just give older guys, and I'll put older in quotes, a kick that uh, a Matt so. Ginter is getting named. Because we named this after Miguel Gonzalez. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that good 2016. Well, otherwise, he sucks. Yeah, I, but, I, I agree. But yeah, Matt Ginter gets the benefit of the doubt as far as the, not the 2005 rule, which we would give it to your man, Kevin Walker, but the, hey, he contributed to a division winner. I can't believe I, I, we mentioned all this. Uh, I, I skipped over Steve Christmas in 1984. Uh, what a great name. Uh, and this guy, uh, okay, I'm going to his baseball reference page now. So this is Christmas. Uh, what has he done? Um, he pitched for three years in the major leagues, 83, 84, and 86 did Steve Christmas. But just a, it's just a, just a funny one of those guy names. Um, for the uh, White Sox, we're sporting the number fifty-eight. So yeah, I, I, I like Matt Ginter. Matt Ginter's good with me. All right, I guess so. <laughs> no one's gonna be too. No one's gonna like the Mark Burley episode. Everybody's like, "Oh man, I'm talking about Burles." Excellent. I'm in. So poor Matt Ginter. Only Matt, Matt Ginter and his family is gonna be talking about this one. Yeah. And if you're listening, Matt Ginter, thank you. Yes. You didn't pitch that well in two thousand. Yeah, hey, this is rookie. Right. This is rookie year. Come on, I'm, this is what I do but, on this show. I cape for Matt Ginter. I have have done that since day one. I'm always going to be and, a Matt Ginter defender. And good job for the nine Mets because they are my favorite squadron in Absolutely. 2004. Absolutely. So we hereby decree episode number 58, the Matt Ginter episode. All right, Herbie. So should we just open the bag already and just get with it? What do you think? Let's do it. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. And odds are you guys like email too. And if you want to send us an email, how can they do that, Herbie? Email us at lockedonsocks at gmail.com. That is lockedonsocks at gmail.com to get to us. And maybe you'll make it to next week's edition of Mailback Monday. Absolutely. Let's get things started off here. First one 
coming in from our guy Mike Victor always who checks in. Hello, Mike. Thank you for the support. And by the way, just real quick, you know, we had uh, another report come out uh, from the Locked On Podcast Network. Just you know, a little bit of an update on how the week went, and you know, no surprise here, judging by uh, you know the course of the season, you guys. During the big moments, you guys always show out and respond and check out the show, whether it's Giolito's no-hitter or uh, the Cubs series or any other big wins that we've had this year uh, as a podcast. Um, you guys showed out for the postseason clinching episode last week, and it was the most listened to podcast uh, on at least the, the very least the locked on MLB network. So all the MLB teams, it was the most listened to podcast. So I just want to thank all you guys out there for supporting the show and thank my partner Herb here for, you know, get, setting this all up and for keeping it together until I got on board. And it's just, it's just been a lot of fun. And this weekend wasn't a fun weekend for the White Sox, but it was a productive week for us. And, you know, it's good times going with the, with the Sox and this podcast. So it's exciting, but we couldn't do it without any of you guys who listen. So it's much appreciated. Yeah, and we appreciate the White Sox being good. Oh, above all, yeah. <laughs> that helps us out, and you guys listening to us is a big time. Uh, like, I look at the numbers all the time, and like, oh, my goodness, so many people are listening, and th- the fact that you guys send in uh, emails and correspond with us and interact with us is blowing my mind. I know we work in radio, so we should be used to it, but it's still – you know, a little project we started last October, and it's got some some traction because of the good team, the loyal listeners, and I think we provide a nice, entertaining product. So thank you very much. I echo the sentiments of Tanny. Absolutely. So Mike asks this. He says, uh, love the feeling watching the end of that Twins game. Definitely looking forward to the playoff atmosphere, but the Sox need to lock up the best possible position for the playoffs. I disagree. So do you. I think we talked about that. Uh, but Mike says, so guys, what's the plan to prepare for the last week? Rest and setting up the rotation are obvious. Anything else? Go Sox. Mike Victor. Thank you, Mike, for checking in and uh, being a avid supporter of this podcast. All right, so I, I'll start off here, but I, I took the liberty of mapping out what would be the end of the regular season here and what would be the first three games of the wild card series with the, the let's say it's the White Sox and whoever they play. Um, the pitching matchups are as follows. Dunning, of course, tonight versus Savale. Right. Then they have Ronaldo Lopez versus Shane Bieber. You can chalk that up as L. Then on <laughs> Wednesday night, it is Giolito versus TBD for Cleveland. And then Thursday night in Cleveland, it is Keuchel versus TBD also. So I'm thinking they're setting it up almost like I would want it, but one day off of for Giolito. And then Cubs, it looks like there's no one pitching, so it would be Cease who pitched. That's a win if no one's pitching. That's a win. (laughs) No? Oh, they actually, okay. (laughs) So Cease on Friday night in the Cubs, and if I'm going by the same thing, Cease, Dunning, and then Lopez for the Cubs series. Uh, I mean, just throwing out guys who are, you know, on the back end of your rotation so Michael and Giolito can be fresh and not pitching that Cubs series. Um so that would be much better, I guess. I don't know. That's six days rest for Giolito. I'm not a, too much of a fan of that. But, right. you know, they're they're probably not looking those numbers that closely as I do. I worry about him, though, being amped up in a, in a game one situation. I would almost be inclined to just start Dallas Keuchel in game one. He's been their best pitcher all year with mm-hmm. not as many opportunities. But I may, I may just roll him out because he's got the experience. Like, no slight to you, Lucas, but – Here's what we're doing here. Like I'm just I'm very worried about Giolito starting a game one of a playoff series just because we've seen him be amped up before early on in big games, even without the crowd. Like, you know, he's he's still working through that as a young pitcher and you know, it's still it's still the guy right there. And, you know, but it's just the one thing that that is concerning no matter who they play. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Mike. And hopefully that confusing ass, long ass uh, explanation there sort of paints a picture of what the Sox are going to be working with going forward here. But appreciate the email as always. Next one coming in, Roger from Charlotte, North Carolina. He says, hi, Herb and Chris. How many of the following would you like to see continue next year? A, well, I'll just go through it one, one by one. A, mm-hmm. seven inning double headers. Do we want to see that continue next year? I 100% want to see that continue next year. Nine inning doubleheaders are dumb and too long. 
I agree. It's a little weird to get used to, oh, yeah, seventh inning, this is it. Oh, man, better score some runs. But ultimately, it's much more efficient. I haven't heard any players complain about it. Everyone knows the stakes. Everyone knows, okay, you know, we, we, we only have seven innings to get it done. So, I, yeah, I'm on board with that. I think the players would be on board with that too. And it, it provides a nice opportunity maybe to do just straight up back-to-back double headers uh, when fans are back in attendance and i think that's a pretty enjoyable experience right there so yeah we're both on board seven inning double headers let's keep it going b three batter max to pitchers i'm fine with that it's it challenges the managers it challenges teams no more loogies no more guys who are like steve Cichek used to be just a hey you're not getting that right hander out you're too bad hey you, you got to stay in that game and you got to get two more guys out. So it gives the manager a little bit more challenge. It gives those National League fans the strategy they so desire. They've been crying about strategy and the double switch going away, crying about that all day long. So how about you give this a chance? The three batter minimum, I think it plays into the hands of the offense and it plays into the hands of more excitement into the game and I'm more I'm better for that no more Terry Francona going out and changing a pitcher every fucking at batter every at batter every at batter I'm good make sure that guy is good and he has to face three hitters and sometimes that guy's gonna get rocked like the guy in Cincinnati uh, Stevenson the other day we gave up the back-to-back-to-back home runs Herb can you hear that if you listen closely can you hear that no I can't it's Jimmy Cordero saying, please, God, no, from his, from his condo somewhere on Lakeshore Drive, I'm guessing. <laughs> no more three-batter <laughs> rule. Uh, he's, he's, his arm is, is, is like jelly right now because he's the guy that most likely is – he always seems to be the guy out there that's like, oh, God, he doesn't have it after one hitter, but we're going to keep rolling him out there and just laboring out there. You know what? This hasn't been the whole three-batter minimum thing. Like it hasn't been as clunky as I thought it would be, and it hasn't been as laborious as I, as I thought it would be. Like I envision a scenario where it's every single time you know you bring a guy in and he doesn't have it for for one hitter. Like you've seen it a couple times maybe with Cshek this year, but like it hasn't been that bad, and it hasn't been that egregious where it's like, oh god, this guy's out there getting pounded, and I feel bad for his family watching. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can go either way on this one, but I'll, I'll defer to you. I'm cool with with them doing that again. It, it does anything to speed up pace of play, but again, I don't really care that much about uh, the pace of the game. You know, the game is the game. It is what it is. Like it's it's you know, you're not all of a sudden going to speed it up just by doing that. But I, I think it does. Sometimes it does get a little too much, like you mentioned with Francona. Granted, he is one of the best managers, if not the best manager in all of baseball. So he has has his reasons. But when you're watching a game uh, that you have no rooting interest in, it sometimes it does get a little bit difficult to watch, uh, especially when you get into the postseason, when you really start getting into the matchups and and, and overkill and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I I'm cool with that too, with with letting that ride. Uh, C, expanded playoffs in teams. I am not cool for expanded playoffs. Um, this many teams, it's a little much. I mean, actually, the, the teams are fine, but then there's no actual, like, gift or there's no punishment for winning a wild card. There's no uh, advancement. Con- consequences. No, there's no positive yeah. or negative consequences or repercussions for for a team that that's stellar or a team that kind of backs its way in. There's there's yeah, no like, there's no give and take here. Yeah, like in a regular 162 where guys get the home field advantage and you're backing your fans uh, and everybody's cheering and such. You play that 162 and then you got a a crapshoot versus the damn. Cleveland Indians who didn't play as well as you did and you're, you know, get two home games. Great. Who cares? But if you are a team that wins your division, you should have some type of special uh, gift like a buy or uh, all hosting all home games or as they were uh, as they were wanting to do having that team like the White Sox say, I want to face this team in the first round at least you have an advantage of winning the division. You can not just a banner. It's you have advantage over that team that just snuck in and your opponent is a lesser team. Uh, and you probably have an advantage over them pitching wise or hitting wise. And you, you can exploit that. That's the only thing I would want to change. You can keep the actual number of teams, the 16 teams, 
because it makes more interesting um, baseball and people are still into this. I see a person the other day talking about the damn Angels only being four and a half out with six to go. <laughs> I'm like, calm the fuck down. Hey, that was, that was me. That was me hanging on to my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, the Angels fans are under 500, still out here holding out hope that they're going to get into the tournament. They're 23 and 31. Mm. Like, man, he just won the rest of the six. We'll still be under 500, but maybe you got a chance to catch up to either Toronto or Cleveland. But yeah, it, it gives people like that a chance to dream that they can get into the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I'm a baseball purist in a lot of ways. And to your point about the the incentive like next year there will be fans you hope and there will be a home field advantage so you will have an advantage to to doing as well as you possibly can be it's not gonna be like this year where it's like what's what's the point at a a neutral site or a site with no fans like uh, there will be a reward next year but you know ultimately I'm, i'm a i'm a player's guy like if having more teams in the postseason means bigger bigger pie for everyone to split like if more money for the players and more fan interest and everything else goes up then i'm cool with that but you know i'm a purist in the sense that you know the great phil leotardo once said either it has meaning or no meaning that's how i feel about winning your division like it should be special you shouldn't have to play a three-game series against uh, a bottom tier team where anything can happen and you talk about variance in baseball like that shouldn't be a thing you should have like a buy or whatever um so i you know i i, I anything for you know increased interest in the game we'll have to see how this uh, what this does for the game, I think, uh, when it's all said and done, I think it will be a good thing. You know, it's just common sense. More teams being in it is better. But, you know, w- baseball's done it a certain way uh, over over many, many years. And, you know, I, I fear change, obviously. But you know, I'm, con- I'm, conf- I'm conflicted on this. Like, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about it. See, in a 162-game season, you know, the, the cream really does rise to the top. So, mm-hmm. It's you know there, there there are no cheapies so you'd you'd have a lot of five hundred teams uh, in the playoffs which I I don't support I can't co-sign that um, that that's just the way the way that I see it you know it's it means something when you're the best in your group after one hundred sixty two games which it'll lead us into the next question but um, yeah I, you know what I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes keep it. You like how I'm working things out here on the fly? I'm going to say yes, keep it, but only because the players, like, they always get jerked in the collective bargaining. So, like, if they can work it into where they're not getting jerked in the next contract and they can sort of even it out by until that contract where, you know what, give them another year of of expanded postseason so they get more money in the pot, then that's cool. But as just as a from a fundamental standpoint in baseball, I'm not a fan of it because I don't like averageness in, in my baseball. You know, and it's definitely you look at it differently as a White Sox fan this year because you're like, oh, mm-hmm. next year they'll they'll be fine. You know, they'll be right in the thick of it. They'll be at least a wild card team next year, so you don't have to worry about them eking in as a seven or eight seed. So that definitely changes the way I feel about it. If you would have asked me that going into this season, I would have maybe felt differently about it. But yeah, I, I, I'm I'm cool with them not doing it uh, unless the players get more money. Then I'm cool. With and when we record this, you're talking about teams who are going to be 500 in the playoffs next year in 162. This year in 60 games we have two teams uh the eighth place cincinnati reds at 27 and 27 and the eighth place uh, toronto blue jays who are 27 and 26 just a game over 500 so yeah yeah these are going to be teams at 500 after 60 you definitely going to see yeah. teams under 500 and like at those bottom feeders of seven and eight we're going to be a hundred percent under 500 Especially when you take out the lopsided schedule and teams have to play all sorts of different teams, you know, like then mm-hmm. then you it really that you'll really see the averageness uh, not only rise halfway to the top, I suppose. But uh, uh, next one, shorter regular season, a hundred percent behind that. Yep. Not sixty games, but I'm a good for a buck forty four, a buck fifty. Um, that would be a perfect scenario. This has been too short, but I one sixty two is just. Ugh, like games every day, it's you get bored after a while. You start the season later in the year. You start the season maybe in April, have a couple more off days, time for teams to get a little bit better, longer uh, all-stars uh, weekend or week, just have that whole week off. A little do things differently because this season seemed frenetic and it was quick. It was two months. It was like very few off days. Yeah. But I like 
the the urgency people had to play with because of you know this is it this is our 60 games it's a sprint and put those in quotes but uh, i know owners are never going to do it because of money revenue and baseball unlike all the rest of sports depends on revenue more than anything because of the 81 home games and um that's what their meal ticket is actual people at the games while football is like yeah people at the games is good but our money's get got out of the tvs and same thing with nba tv games so uh, i think baseball would be best served if they go to 150 144 150 somewhere in that range to just pare it down a little bit it's not drastic taking away things and i know baseball loves its its history and its record so it's going to be hard to do that there too the 162 rings out since all of us pretty much have been alive so it's a pipe dream but i would love a shortened schedule yeah me too and i i think 140 Eight would maybe be your starting point, and if you could peel it back even even more, that I'd be cool with that. But the, the bottom line is, you can't you can't keep having these seasons start baseball season start in March, man. That's trash. That the games are not fun to go to. They're not fun to play if you're a player. They're not fun to watch on TV. You're cold just watching it, and you know the quality of play is not good. I mean, you don't see any of that. Oh, this guy, you're gonna start seeing it now with the weather changing. But I, I we had a whole season off of well, this guy's a not a not a cold weather hitter. You know what I mean? Like in general, <laughs> let's generalize about where this guy was born and why he doesn't hit, hit in the cold. You know what I mean? Like you know, like we Dusty we didn't Baker out there. yeah we don't we didn't have any of that this year. But it's just it's too early to start a season. Season. And if you push this, the start of the season back a little bit to better weather, sprinkle in some more off days throughout the course of the year, like you said, that way, you know, you're not going to, into a big series against the Twins and all of a sudden you have your four, five, and, and one starters. You could line up your one, two, three if you see fit. Um, that that would make you know just overall the, the the games better, competition would be better, and they these guys would be a lot more rested, and you wouldn't have to hear hopefully about dog days as much and that stuff. So yeah, shorten the regular season, please, but not too much because I still love the companion aspect of baseball where it's there for you every day, pretty much like for half the season, so half the year I should say. So yeah, uh, next one, Universal DH. We're both on board with this one, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no one wants Pitchers to see. Dumb. Yeah, it's awful. It's horrendous, uh, and it's been fun. Uh, National League games have been a lot more palatable this year without the pitcher hitting. So, yeah, I think any NL maybe this year they felt a disadvantage, but next year any NL GM or manager will tell you, yeah, we we loved it. It's great. You know, you know what I mean. Like I, most people would tell you that, I would think. So, and also a guy like James McCann next year, maybe they think he's too old to be everyday catcher. Now that you have 15 more positions opened up for the designated hitter, if they keep it, maybe James McCann gets an opportunity he wouldn't get otherwise. So they would be thinking, oh, okay, he can't pit, he can't catch 130. He's really never done that in his career. Hey, he can catch 100 and give you probably 50 games at DH too. And a lot of national league teams went into this year not thinking the DH was going to be a thing, and so they weren't prepared. A guy like James McCann or others might be uh, – suited to be a DH next year and Edwin Encarnacion, which probably not coming back for the White Sox might be an option for somebody else. Too. He, he's off the team for next year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Roger, for the email. Those sorry. It was a very long explanation, but uh, I liked uh, your, your inquisitive nature. And uh, we haven't got a chance to talk about all those things after a shortened season of, of, of watching all these uh, scenarios play out with the double headers and the different rules. So yeah, thank you for reaching out, Roger. Uh, next one coming from robot umpire. He wanted to ask about Hawk and Stone's relationship uh, in the booth. And I will just say thank you for the email, but he, he watched the Hawk documentary and thought Stoney was great offering his commentary throughout which I would agree. I remember seeing the premiere of that Hawk documentary uh, a couple years back when they had a media uh, sort of red carpet event for it, and I thought it was really well done. Um, and you know, he says the perception of Hawk and Stone is that they didn't have the best relationship. You know, we all made the joke that they were socially distancing before it was popular, uh, and uh, Robot Umpire says the same. But he wants to shed light on the relationship between the two. And you know, I, I appreciate the email, but I, I can't speak on two other grown men's behalf. Um, but we know Stoney from, from working with him at the score and he's just a professional. Like, I don't know what their relationship was like behind the scenes. Um, you know, Hawk is a, is a colorful personality and you know, that doesn't always rub people the, the right way. And I'm not speaking on Stone's behalf, but you know, Stoney, it didn't surprise me that he was great in that Hawk documentary because Stoney understands 
the the legacy that Hawk left on White Sox baseball and what he means. So, and he's sat there in those games. The problem with with their tenure, with their relationship, is because there was so many god awful years of White Sox baseball, and we all know Hawk when when the Sox lose, the game just wasn't as entertaining to watch. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a different dynamic for Stoney to work with. So, I'm not going to speak on another grown man's behalf, but I appreciate you reaching out. Unless you want to take a stab at this, but I'm, I'm no, good. I would just be speculating on it. Yeah, and, you know, speculating is a little too tough. So, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I would just say the same thing. Stone's a professional. You see, he's worked with all of them. He's worked with uh, Harry's, worked with uh, Chip Carey's, worked with Tom Brittman. He's worked with, of course, uh, our own uh, Ed Farmer and DJ, uh, Ed Farmer first. And then uh, he's worked with Jason Bedani and Hawk. So he can work with anybody. He he brings out the best, I think, in the announcer if they're allowed, if they want it. And the same thing the other way. Jason, I think, 100% brings out the best in Stoney, the companionship, the funny jokes, even if it's a laugh or either way, like the Sox are getting housed or the Sox are housing another team. The broadcast is funny. It's enjoyable. And I didn't feel that way with Hawk and Stone, and that's neither to his fault. Sometimes people don't aren't compatible on that level, and that's fine. They, I don't think they had any animus towards each other. I think they're just, you know, two professionals who Hawk was mad about the game and Stone was like, okay, I'm not going to be stepping on man's toes. Yeah. I'm good. Stone famously said on our station one time, he said, I'm on the Hawk show. And I think that's the best way that that anyone could, could sum it up. You know, like when you, when you, when you go into an icon's booth of that stature, like, you know, you're sort of like having to like, you know, when, when you're in a relationship with someone, uh, you know, in life, and like, there's always going to be someone who's like on the more dominant side, and someone who commands mm-hmm. a room and commands conversation. Like, it's pretty obvious Hawk is like that sort of dude when you listen to a broadcast. So, you know, Stone said he's on the Hawk show. That's all he ever said about it. So, I'll just I'll leave it up to his word saying that. But yeah, I, I, love I mean, Stone. literally, the place is called the Hawk Harrelson <laughs> floor or bar- broadcast Bro- broadcast uh, level level yeah, <laughs> yeah and don't don't, don't, don't level don't forget the Ed Farmer bathroom that's still there <laughs> <laughs> that's but always great. I, it's my favorite thing uh, but yeah but I, I I love Stone I love him and Benetti it's such a different sound than than him and Hawk and we're, we're very lucky that's a national level broadcast we have on the south side and we get to watch it every day so thank you robot ump for checking in with that but we're not touching that one plus we don't know genuinely um next one coming up from our guy john yay kest here he says this what do you guys think of ricky's plan of attack will be with the lineup starting with the playoffs it seems like he's trying to give encarnacion and mazara a chance to break out here before they get hot and but if they can't could you see a circumstance where he finally goes with angles a plus defense and average bat instead of mazara's 500 foot bomb potential or swapping edwin for the more consistent mccann grandal platoon which he's utilized here later in the season. Congratulations on the growth and success with the show. Well earned. Thank you, John Yekest. You're a big part of that. So, yeah, Herb, what do you think? We talked about this a little bit on Saturday night's postgame about the whole uh, Mazzara, Engel, uh, McCann dynamic. What do you think ultimately Renteria is going to do? I'm going to ask you to put those baseball pants on again. What's he going to do when you get into the playoffs? He's going to ride out Nomar Mazzara the whole playoffs, and then if he needs to be – uh, put in Anna Bingo for pitch running and or uh, defensive purposes. But I think if it's a right-handed pitcher, which Cleveland I think exclusively has, he's going to have uh, Nomar Mazara out there every time, even though I think looking at the numbers, and it might have been after that home run it jumped o- over it, but uh, versus right-handed hitters, I think Nomar Mazara and Engel have about the same OBP. So, you know, I don't know what to do with that, but he's 100% going to play Edwin Encarnacion um, in the second game. The first game gets tricky. It's the Lucas Giolito start, and like we just said, it's a right-hander again, so you 100% will have James McCann behind yeah. the plate catching Lucas Giolito. And here we are. The- we, we talked about it all year, but here we are, and you know what? I have a hard time arguing against that. You just throw, throw Grandal at the DH. You and know? that's the thing. Will he versus probably uh, Shane Bieber have Edwin Encarnacion, a right-handed, or will he have the switch hitter who will be hitting left-handed uh, Grandal, whose bat has been decent lately? I think he'll be going with Grandal in that first game, so the McCann-Grandal thing will work, and then he'll feel like bad, like, I got to get Edwin in there. In the second game, Grandal will be back catching, and then they'll have Edwin at the uh, behind the plate – or. Um, 
DHing. So that's what I think is going to be the lineup. And then the third game is a crapshoot. I don't know who catches yeah. Dane Dunning. And, and they're going to throw in you another right-hander. So it's going to be Bieber most likely. Uh, then they're probably going to go with – not Savali. They're going to go with uh, Plesak. Or Carrasco. Yeah, I think I think, Carras- I think everyone I know everyone saying Carrasco please sack. I think I heard them talking about it on the broadcast the other night. Ugh, it would be the most likely one, bad, two, three. Bad. It's like the, the those matchups I feel like there's no one you're scared of, but right. also you just gotta like scratch a run or well, yeah, two you gotta over pitch. those guys and you gotta have like you gotta match their pitchers. You gotta pitch and you gotta play defense, which is why I think you have to start angle out in right field because you know runs are gonna be at a premium. Mm-hmm. Going against Cleveland, you already know that, and I like the idea of having Edwin off the bench late in the game against uh, an Andrew Miller type. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I like that option too. Like because Edwin's played in a lot of playoff games, so you know he, he's he's not he's not hitting fairly well right now. You know he's struggling a little bit, um, but he he ha- he offers that threat, and you know he will give you a decent at bat most of the time, and he'll he'll give you a long at bat. If, if that's what the circumstance calls for. So I like having him off the bench late, but I think you have to have Engel in right field uh, in, in a series against a team like the Indians because runs are, are at a premium. So and One thing I think, too, that we I don't think we have thought about in the playoffs, there right now would be in Los Angeles that first game, first three games. So the Marine Air, I don't know, the Marine <laughs> Lair would be over – Los Angeles and also the the wildfires and all that air will be up there. So balls will not be traveling as well as they do at U.S. Cellular or uh, the Great American Ballpark. So I think, yeah, you need more of run producers. So Nomar Mazara's home run potential will kind of be squelched there. You would not want a guy like Adam Engel, especially in that right field, that Dodgers right field, yep. you want somebody who's more experienced uh, with tracking down balls. It's a short porch out there in right, uh, huge right field. So I would say, yeah, go with Adam Ingle in that first game. But I know Ricky, he's going to go with the, what was the metaphor? Who said it the other day? He's going to go with the girl he brought. What was it? Danny messed it up. He go go with the girl who brung you. Yeah, <laughs> that's what Danny said. Yeah. Okay, he was just messing up all his things, and I forgot, and I messed up his. Uh, yeah. Up, so. Yeah. So I would say he's gonna go with Nomar Mazzara, a hundred percent. Yeah. Is anyone here a marine biologist? Well, it turns out it's Herb. Herb's got, he's an expert on the on the ocean air uh, <laughs> of Southern California. I mean, how could I argue? You live there. Um, but yeah, that that's it's, marine layer is thick. It burns uh, off, but it's still in the air. Especially at night. I don't know if they'll put the White Sox at prime time in Dodger Stadium when they have other teams available. I don't know, know who the other teams would be in LA with them or uh, opposing in uh, San Diego, but I would say probably the White Sox Cleveland game doesn't move the needle that much. So it'll be mid afternoon game. So it'll be definitely balls wouldn't be going as far, but a little at night it's worse. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Again, you got to ride with Engel. That's a great point about Mazzara and balls not carrying there. Uh, I, I like that, but it's you definitely have a situation there with the the McCann Grandal Abreu. But they've they've been maneuvering that a little bit better lately, and I think guys are are used to that routine. So you know, I don't know how I feel about Grandal at first base. Um, you know, I would rather have him just straight up DH, but yeah, I, you know, at least they, they have some options there. Um, and, and I think Renteria will go with the, with the correct option in a, in a series, uh, in a playoff series. So thank you, John. Yeah. always appreciate you. Next one here from our guy, Jay, always hitting us up. He, he wants his pod all the time. Pod! So got to give him his pod. Jay says this men, I feel like the Sox need a few defeats of the soul crushing variety coming down the stretch. I generally agree that you stack as many wins as you can, but the club has been riding high a bit too long for my liking as the playoffs loom. Jay sent this before this weekend series. Uh, obviously you are men of a certain age. So I draw the parallel to 2005, not that they could blow their spot, but a bit of adversity might be just what the doctor ordered before they sweep the Cubs in a meaningless three game set. a la the Oh five Indians to cap off the regular season then they set sail to another world series trophy he says pod thank you jay for reaching out yeah i mean if you were looking for lackluster 
bad baseball. Oh boy, the Sox had that for you in all avenues uh, in Cincinnati this weekend. Mm. That that Dylan C start yesterday. Oh my god, um, he, he had some cover going against the Bears, but it was bad. They what, how many guys did they end up walking in that ball game yesterday? It was at least eleven or twelve. It was it was horrendous. Um, and again, it may not matter in a short playoff series. You may not have to see Dylan Cease, but I, I think by the end of tonight, you'll be like, okay, we know what the rotation is for the playoffs after Dane Dunning uh, faces the Indians. Hopefully he has some success there. But yeah, are you a subscriber to like, man, this team hasn't really experienced many gut-wrenching losses this year? Other than the one in Pittsburgh, I can't really think of any. And I think part of it too is without the crowd, these things aren't as magnified or amplified, I would say. Like it's you don't feel the bad losses like you normally would. Are you in agreement here that they you think they need to lose in a bad way before the, the season ends? Um not really. Um there's no there's no benefit to losing, I don't think. Um they're already in the playoffs. Like I said, there's no benefit to winning either. So um, they, by the way, they walked 11 and they hit another guy. So 12 base runners on just, just not earning it. So it was a horrible, horrible start for Dylan Cease. And this is not encouraging. His starts have becoming, becoming like worse and worse as we go along. You said it earlier though, he pitched well versus the Cubs the first time he played versus them. If he can just finish that off this week, Friday, I think is his first start or his last start of the year, knock it out and get better. Um, I would just want the White Sox to play like they're just gearing up for the playoffs because that's exactly what they're doing. If they feel like Tim feels is these are all playoff games, so we need to win them all, do that. Pedal to the metal, keep it down, and act as if you can't lose any of these games and have that mentality set in your mind for the playoffs. And if you feel like proper rest would – set your team off for better for the playoffs, then do that. Um, Jose Abreu has played in every single game, every single game the White Sox have played this year, Jose has played in. He's looked good. Normally, I would say, hey, you got to give a guy like that a blow every once in a while. Got to have get him off his feet. And they do it well with putting him in at DH instead of playing first base. But I would love for Jose just to chill out in this Cleveland series, one of them. And just have a seat, like I said yesterday, with Luis Robert so he can show him the intricacies of the game while the game is going on. And he can have a nice chit-chat and Luis can get his mind off of his struggles and just sit by a guy who's got that, that talent going on right now. It's got that, that skills and um, the numbers going for him. The numbers are right for Jose Abreu. He might win the MVP, so maybe that will rub off on him and get ready for the playoffs and kill. Do the Sox have any opportunity to knock out the Indians with a with a four game sweep this week? Can they? Can the Indians are pretty? They're they're going to make it, right? I mean, they're they're close enough. Like they don't have any real shot unless they lose out of of not getting one of those final berths, right? Like they can't they can't put the dagger in them this week, can they? The Indians have twenty nine wins. The closest team closest team is twenty three wins. The Seattle. Mariners. If the mm. Mariners went out, of yeah. course, that would be the <laughs> same amount of wins. So <laughs> there is the yeah. problem. I think the Mariners are the closest thing. And then right there with 23 wins is uh, LA Angels and Baltimore. But they all both have 31 losses, LA and Baltimore. So I don't think physically, yeah. even if they win all their games, they can catch up to Cleveland. So no, the White Sox, I mean, they could beat them all four, but I don't know who Cleveland plays after that. And it might just be academic. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. They should just approach this whole week like they're they're, you know, ramp up the intensity or do the same thing you always do. You know, prepare the same way you always prepare and be loose, but also focus. You know, and and don't give away any at bats. So you sort of get into the the postseason habit here a week early. I think it is a great tune up for them this week with two really good teams that, um, you know, are are still you know one one team you know fighting for. You know, uh, to, to maybe to leapfrog the Twins, maybe, uh, and, and for better seating because maybe the the Indians don't want to face the White Sox. You know, maybe so they're they're trying maybe to to sweep the Sox. So, and of course the Cubs who are just falling flat on their face as as we're recording this tonight against the Twins, not doing much to help. But you know, you can only 
you know, you should probably help yourself, White Sox, if you're looking for help elsewhere. It doesn't, doesn't help losing two out of three to the Reds. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, gear up as, as much as you can this week for the postseason because, uh, you know, it's going to be a nice little test for them. And I, I think it's it's a it's good. It's a blessing that they have the schedule that they have in the final week of the season. So, Thank you, Jay, for reaching out, as always. Another one of our great supporters. Next one here from our guy, Pete Hand, checking in. Aloha. My name is Mr. Hand. After the season, what do you think should be priority to address? I think Dunning possibly helps fill an area of concern. I would focus on right field. I know Herb is interested in Springer, as am I, but what about Jock Peterson? He fits the whole White Sox whale, White Sox white whale approach. Um, a left-handed right field bat. Thanks, Pete, thank you, Pete, for checking in. Another one of our of our great supporters. You know what? All you guys are great supporters. I say that after every one, but you know this is like you know, your uh, your corner tavern here of 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 crusty White Sox fans. It's the same people. We ca- occasionally we have some new people checking in, but for the most part, it's our regulars here. Uh, so yeah, Herb, what do you think should be the priority in the off season? Uh, fortify the rotation a little bit, or finally secure that right field thing, so we don't have to do any podcasts talking about who they're going to play in right field tonight. <laughs> I would say if I had to do an either-or situation, I would get fortify the pitching staff and the rotation. Go after Trevor Bauer would be my number one. Then I would think about Robbie Ray, Marcus Stroman, those type of guys. Uh, as as far as a, another top of the top of the rotation arm, but Trevor Bauer 100% would be my number one priority. Then looking at by the, the way, did you, did you see Bauer? Way. Did you see Bauer in the post game last night talking about awesome. TA? Yes, yeah. He, he said about TA, like you know, um, paraphrasing, but you know, after Timmy didn't uh, toss the bat after going deep against Bauer, uh, he called him basically a coward. He's like, he should have flipped it. So you love to see that between two guys, two great personalities in the game, and and maybe there'll, there'll be a little courtship uh, this this off season because the White Sox are like at the epicenter of baseball fun. So maybe you know they'll they'll cut a check for a couple of years for Trevor Bauer because I, I mentioned it the other night, but apparently his whole thought process is you know just take you know shorter term deals but higher annual value so he maximizes his uh, earning potential in his career which i think is a great way to to, smart to do it yeah so yeah i I would say trevor bauer would be uh number one on my shopping list but so go ahead continue i want to make sure we we said what he said in the post game because i i loved that quote last night yeah and it has some uh, history because timmy last year's interaction with trevor bauer Bauer pretty much wrote Tim like, hey, love everything you're doing. Hey, take it easy on me tonight. Right. And Tim's like, man, I, I haven't had much success against you. If I hit one, I'm going to flip it. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's where the that uh, post game comment comes from. He's like, I'm really disappointed. Very soft, Timmy, for not flipping <laughs> it on me last night. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Jock's not having a great year yeah, this year. He's going to be 29. Horrible year for Jock Peterson this year. Uh, he's he's good for negative uh, .6 wins above replacement. So he's been a negative uh, war player. Uh, he's got six homers in 109 at-bats. He's hitting just 174 with an OBP of only 268. Yikes, and slugging 376. So not one of his better years. I have not watched a lot of Dodgers baseball this year, but obviously him being the odd man out the, out there. And who knows? This could be a classic case of change of scenery guy. You know, the guy's been an all-star before, and I've, I've always liked what I've seen, you know, earlier on in his career when he, it was rumored that he was a part of that trade before the 2019 season. I was like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on board for that. So I don't know if I feel any differently about that now. I don't think he's gotten worse as time goes on. I think, you know, sometimes guys just sour of their situation. Like, they, you know, he's been dangled out there in trade rumors for almost his entire career in L.A. So, you know, I, I – yeah. And he got traded, actually, you know, this offseason when the, the Dodgers acquired Mookie Betts the first time. They traded Jock Peterson to the Angels, and that trade got rescinded because of the Brodesor Gratterall deal where Boston didn't like his medicals, right. dumb, and Bratisar got taken by the Dodgers instead, and then they brought, had to bring back Ross Stripling, who they subsequently traded later in the year, and Jock Peterson. So that must be a thing going on in his mind. Also, I think his wife just gave birth to a child. Also, I think he was on the bereavement list. So he's got a lot of things going on that might be explaining this slow start and this bad year for Jock Peterson, so it's going to cost him some money in free agency. 
but I'm not rolling dice on multiple year deal with Jack Peterson. who's going to be 29 next year. Uh, if he might be this guy, cause I don't know, maybe he is this guy now. Yeah, it's it's that's a tough call. So yeah, I, I buyer beware. I guess you'd say with, with Jock Peterson. I much rather. Uh, I think we're in agreement that Bauer is is target one A or just solid one, not even one A. And maybe that gives you a little leverage to to deal one of your starting pitching assets, maybe for something else. You know, I don't I don't I'm trying to think of any deals that they that are more likely but you know as the 162 game season resumes you'll see more teams possibly bow out especially if there's uh, no expanded postseason so maybe you'll have some interesting options so it's good to i rather i rather pay and get an asset that you don't have to trade for than you know have to trade for somebody or have to rely on someone that's young and unproven like i rather just go out and cut someone a check who's got a track record and then sort of deal with everything else after that but yeah we're on we're in agreement there and you know george springer would be my top choice for right field next year as i'm sure he would with you so we're we're, we're pretty we're pretty lockstep on that so uh, yeah, th- yeah. Thanks, Pete. But yeah, I, I think you know you're, you're you know you can never have too much pitching the way I see it. And, and with this lineup, like I don't worry as much about right field. Um, but over at 162, like some more pitching options would be nice, especially a guy like Bauer. Just selfishly from a content perspective, I would love to see him in a White Sox uniform. So thank you, Pete. Enjoy yourself a little TT, a little Tom time, okay? The rest of the night. Thank you. Tom, you need a little Tom time and a little TT. Um, next one is from Chris, a.k.a. at Southside Shundy on Twitter. With the release of the playoff schedule, it appears that the second round five-game series is played in five straight days. So it looks like a fifth starter is needed if the series goes to five unless they're willing to throw Giolito on three days rest. So the question is, if healthy, is Rodon the fifth starter over Reynaldo? Or do you go with Reynaldo and Gio Gonzalez together? Would you trust Rodon there? Oof. Love the pod, guys. Cue up the great work. Thank you, Chris, a.k.a. at Southside Shundi. All right, so what do you think there? This... Chris is uh, basically, it sounds like he's counting on Rodon to give you something here leading up into the playoffs, and in, into a playoff series. I'm not so sure I feel great about that. Like, if we're going into game five, and yes, that would be in consecutive days, I'm throwing Lucas Gilito out again. I'm not relying on Ronaldo Lopez. I'm not relying on Carlos Rodon. I'm throwing my best out there and having all hands on deck if he struggles. Dallas might be available. I don't know where I'm going to get out of Dunning because he just pitched two days before that, but everybody's on deck for the DS. We're trying to get to the next level, and we can't get to the next level. We can't be holding back Lucas Giolito for the game one of, of the LCS if we don't get past the LDS. So, yeah, I'm starting my best, which I think actually is Dallas Keiko, but I know that Giolito has a higher ceiling, and he's a actual better pitcher but i think our best pitcher this year has been dallas keiko but i know how things are gonna go if we get to that point giolito will be one keiko will be two so i'll start giolito in game five do or die if we get to that far that point and be happy with whatever the results are or be fine with whatever the results are i would not second think about going for ronaldo lopez or uh rodan hell no i'm not i'm not putting my playoff fate and those two yeah. inconsistent hands. Yeah, typically teams don't go any deeper than their first three guys in the rotation anyway in a in a in a five game series. So in a typical one, but yeah. this is like you said, it's straight through. You no rest for the weary. And literally. I think yeah, ma- managers are going to fall back on what they know, and and I think you nailed it. I think they're just going to go with the guy, their best guys, and rest be damned. And you you would hate to go out. You know, having not one of your best guys out there starting a game for you, because then you're going to leave yourself up to criticism the whole off season uh, about that. So no one, no one would argue, and you're going to have your guys like Keiko and Giolito say, "Hey, I want that ball. I don't care how little days like they're going to fall on the sword for better or for worse. They're going to say, yeah, I want to be the guy out there.' You know, so I, I think everyone is comfortable with that situation. So I, I don't think you'll see rotations get get too deep. Um, but yeah, thanks for the email, Chris. Appreciate you checking in couple more left here in the mailbag. This one is from Brad in Lowell, Indiana. Brad asks this, Hey guys, has there been any update on Leori Garcia? Is he going to be healthy for the playoffs? And who do you send down? Yolmer? Thanks. That's Brad from Lowell. Yeah, I haven't heard much about Leori. Did uh, I know you sat in on uh, Rick Hahn's conference call the other day, his Zoom chat. Did he mention anything about Leori Garcia for the rest of the way here? 
he said zero words about Leary Garcia, if I recall correctly. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on Leary coming back. I mean, I know it was a, a possibility of him coming back for the playoffs, but that's a thing to your hand. I think he uh, had a thumb problem when he got stepped on and slid head first into first base. Dumb, always dumb. <laughs> and so if that was to come back and Lurie was available, I would send Yomer down to the minors as quick as I possibly can, or not even to the minors, just off my team. He's done fine for when he's come back, but I think to me and most White Sox, since he represents a period of just bad, and I equate that Minnesota series with him because that's when he came back, and I was like, God, if you got here, you put the stink back on us, <laughs> so the 2009-19 stink back on us, and he's a good defender. He won a gold glove at second base last year, but – He's starting way too much. And it's like you give Rick anybody he sees familiar, he's going to put him in the lineup no matter what. I think I talked about how Adam Eagle hasn't started in a game for a long time. And that's because he's like, oh, I, I see that Gerard Dyson out there. Let me let me put him in the game. He hasn't started a lot. And he started twice already. I've seen Yomer start three times. Too much. You, and then we've always talked about the five damn times that Nicky Delmonico started at the beginning of the season. He just sees something there and he's like, Oh, I like that guy. I had a good conversation with that guy. I'm going to put him in the lineup instead of let me put my best players out there. Let me get the people who've earned the spots out there to get the actual at bats. Yeah. I have not heard about Larry Garcia. And if Rick Hahn didn't mention it the other day, I, I'm sure he's not top of mind. Uh, you know, usually they will, offer that up there for you if there's good news you know like you heard about he went out of his way to say Aaron Bummer's traveling with the team and you mentioned other guys and you know if typically if they don't mention a guy I would not count on Leary Garcia the rest of the way so uh, thank you Brad for checking in um, yeah and it definitely it would be Yolmer uh, you know I think that they're they're good enough defensively this with what they have now um, you know maybe you would have the Mendick thing is interesting. Maybe you would give him a chance and bring bring him back up in a situation because he's a guy that plays really good defense and gives you a good AB. At least he did earlier in the season. I don't know if mm-hmm. he's if he's dealing with something now, but that that'd be another good option. They have better options that I'd rather see than than Yomer, to be honest with you. So, yeah, thanks for checking in and uh, another one here asking about Garrett Crochet. This is the 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 cross rocket guy that emailed us the other day. Uh, Charlie, our guy Charlie. Charlie says, on a scale of Chris Sale to hell yes, how would you rate Garrett Crochet's debut? Throwing some lefty gas at 101 Mercy. Yeah, Garrett Crochet was absolutely filthy. We talked about it in the last episode. Uh, it's Man, this guy's going to be a weapon for the Sox in the postseason here, Herbie. Oh, yeah. And uh, we talked about it, as you said. And we couldn't be more excited. I went back and actually looked at his start on Friday or his uh, relief appearance on Friday. And move. Oof, I no, I'm good as far as a, if I'm a Cincinnati Red or in the future Cleveland Indian, if one the baddest guy, especially a left hander, to turn all those switch hitters around to their weaker sides, the right handers like uh, Jose Ramirez and uh, Francisco Lindor, those guys in their right side, and that guy pitching 101 in on your hands, I'm real good, real real good. That funky motion too, ah man. That's a great weapon to have. Just not it's like sight on scene. He pitched on Sunday too and pitched pretty well. And I'm uh, even though Nick Senzel hit him pretty deep, I think they just have some familiarity as both being Tennessee Volunteers and Senzel a couple years older than uh, Garrett Crochet. But yeah, um, I'm not looking forward to Garrett Crochet if I'm another team's uh, batters. For the White Sox, that is the weapon you use. High leverage already like if you're going to get something from bummer of course but i would have him over jace fry right now and it's not as jace fry is pitched poorly but that is a weapon that you can't like teach you can't teach one-on-one and you can't teach you know no tape on a guy as we always joke and you joke about the G- jason kubel scouting reports just a blank sheet <laughs> yeah they pretty much have a blank sheet two appearances versus the reds with Garrett crochet right now and that's very, very, very little. And there's no going into the clubhouse during at bats and seeing what he's throwing. It's just you got to grab a bat, and here it is. So I'm very excited for his postseason. 
Absolutely. Me me too, man. It's a exciting times and he does give you you know, the three batter rule sort of changes things a bit and that's why Cleveland that's why they're so dangerous because of all the switch hitters they have. You know, they could turn around practically every guy in their lineup if you bring out someone nasty. But nasty and uncomfortable is is nasty and uncomfortable, you know, no matter any way you any way you slice it. Because Chris Sale had that thing where you know, some right-handers, they, you know, liked facing him. And some guy, you know, he was tipping pitches, I think, on occasion, you know. Um, but for the most part, to a man, every hitter says, yeah, he's the most uncomfortable guy to face. And people are, are saying that uh, about Crochet, at least as far as, the, like, all the comps uh, going into the draft were. So, yeah, man, it's, a, it's exciting times. And there's a lot of other playoff-centric questions here that came in late. But you guys are a little too late to the club here. But that doesn't mean we can't do a special playoff mailbag uh next week with with a lot of these like uh you know a lot of the details about lineup construction and things like that you know some some of it more in-depth than just who starts in right field a lot of it's like where do you hit this guy in the lineup and and tinkering like sort of around the edges so you know tailoring uh this lineup for the best optimization in a a postseason series so we'll get to some of those next week possibly but yeah man that that's all i got and uh you know one more time uh for the people late arriving crowd here for those people that listen to a podcast and go straight to the end (laughs) 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 um, how they get a hold of us on mailbag monday herb they email us at locked on socks at gmail.com locked on socks at gmail.com send us your questions your comments uh you can send us anything and by the way the guy who uh said that we're the bandwagon fans apologized to us so thank you sir oh for apologizing. is that the guy who said he's a jerk in the email yes <laughs> yes i'm looking at he, it right now he says i'm sorry for being a jerk signed jerk <laughs> no problem jerk <laughs> we're all jerks from time to time we That's are all, hey, absolutely yeah, account- accountability of your jerkdom and uh, and knowing that you're jerk and moving along. We appreciate you, sir. Putting him on my list of, of guys to buy a beer for at the G-Rate next year, provided we're all back and, and reunited, and it's going to be one long uh, party all, all summer long. So it, we'll, we'll buy What's the- a beer you're looking forward to at Ooh. the G-Rate? Oh, at the G-Rate? Oh, man. Man, that's a good question. I love a good Revolution Sun Crusher on a, on a, on a warm evening. Uh, with an Italian sausage and peppers, oh, it's no, there's there's nothing better. But pretty much any any beer with you, buddy, any beer with some of the people out there is is one I'm looking forward to having. How about that? Huh? So cheesy. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, that is Tannehill, Chris Tannehill, to be exact. You're damn right, Chris Tannehill <laughs> on Locked On Socks. He's one of the hosts. I'm the other one, Herb Lawrence. Follow me at Ecknerwall23. This show is at Locked on Socks on Twitter and on Instagram. We'll repost a couple pictures, whatever. And next year, when we do get back together as a vaccine, we can go back to ballparks. We'll take pictures, and then we'll put them on that Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And you'll see yourself on Locked on Socks on the Instagram feed. So, for Chris Tannehill, I am Herb Lawrence. This has been another episode of Mailbag Monday. We're going to the playoffs, damn it, of Locked on Socks. <laughs>